Well, we haven't heard the whole story of Jacob and his dysfunctional family. Um, if those of you who were here last week, you remember that uh, we had a story in chapter 25 of these two twins who were born, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older, Jacob the younger. Esau was um, as different from Jacob as night from day. He was a tough, uh, rough, uh, manly man. Uh, he liked to go hunting and gathering and, and doing all this sort of, um, you know, uh, a macho sort of stuff. But Jacob, not like that. Jacob liked to stay home with his mother in the tent and work up new recipes, so the Scripture says. And there's this little line that says that um, Jacob or Esau's father, Isaac, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Both children were self-centered. Not surprisingly, because each had a parent that told them that they were the greatest thing in the world. And um, they both grew up with this kind of inward focus in their lives. Um, Esau was, uh, he was someone who wanted instant gratification. Give me what I want and give it to me now. In fact, so much so that he sold his birthright, his inheritance, for a bowl of soup thinking that it was better to have a bowl of soup now than to wait for his inheritance later. And so he sells it to his brother Jacob. Jacob is self-centered as well, but he's an opportunist. He's playing the long game. He knows that it's not just about what's now, it's about what's later. And so he uses his culinary skills to, uh, to trick his brother out of his birthright. But he doesn't stop there. Jacob is a real opportunist, opportunist. And so he even finds a way to, to trick someone else. You see, there were, there were two parts of an inheritance in the ancient world. One was a financial piece. This is what you got from your parents when, you, um, when they passed away. When your father passed away, the oldest son would get the lion's share of the inheritance in terms of wealth. But there was another thing that they gave, a second part, a spiritual piece. And this was given often to the firstborn as well, where the father would lay his hands upon the head of the, of the oldest son and, and pass along the blessing of his God. Jacob has already tricked his brother out of the money piece. And now he's going after the, fight, the uh, spiritual piece. And so when his father is old and blind and about to die, he calls for his oldest son Esau. Bring Esau in. Big, tough, burly, hairy guy. Not scrawnier, little, smooth Jacob guy. And so what Jacob does is he takes animal skins and he puts them on his body to make it seem like he's his brother, which makes me think that his brother must have been a really hairy guy. And so he goes in and has these animal skins on his, on his arms, and, and uh, he says, Father, here I am, your son Esau. And the father says, you know, I can't see you real well, but you sort of sound like Jacob. Come over here. And so Jacob goes over and he puts out his arm, and his father reaches out and fills his, uh, his hairy arm and says, yep, it's, it must be Esau. And, and so he puts his hand on Jacob's head and gives him... The spiritual blessing too. Boy, this Jacob is one conniving little cheat. Gets hold of his, his brother's birthright, his financial inheritance, steals the blessing of, of, of Isaac uh, that he was going to give to Esau. And let me tell you what. One day when Esau hears about this, he gets very, very angry. So angry that he has one thought in his mind. The only thought that gives him comfort and helps him to sleep at night is this. One day, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. In fact, he thinks to himself, 
As soon as my father's funeral is over, I'm going to get that Jacob and squeeze his scrawny little neck until his head pops off. Well, it doesn't say that, but I think that's what it means. I am going to find him and I am going to kill him. It's going to be over. Jacob's mom finds out about this and says, you've got to get out of town. And she puts him on the first donkey train out and he's running as fast as he can to get away from his brother Esau. And that's sort of where our story picks up. He, he's on the run. He's on the lamb. And, and he stops at a night for a ch- at a cheap motel. It's not really a cheap motel, but it's kind of like one. He can't even find a nice place to lay down. It's a field of rocks. So he does what you would do. He makes a bit, you know, smooths out the place, probably throws down his blankets. And he even uses a rock for a pillow. He goes to sleep at night. Have you ever had that time where somebody is so angry with you? I mean, I know it wasn't your fault. It was their fault. But they're so angry with you that all you can do is is think about them and you think to yourself as you're on your way to the grocery store, I can't go to this store. I might run into them. I I know. Yes, you have had that happen to you, haven't you? I don't want to walk down this hallway at school maybe when you were in school. I might run into them. And so all you do is try to avoid. This is what's going on in Jacob's life. The only thing he can think of is about avoiding his brother. He knows about his own innocence. <laughs> Not really. He knows he's the blame. It's funny, you know, in my years of being a clergyman, um, you know, a decade and a half or so, something like that, uh, I think, um, I think I've, I've talked to a lot of people about relationship issues. It's amazing to me how it's never anyone's fault. You know, it's always the other person, right? <laughs> Jacob doesn't even buy into that. He knows it's his fault. But he also knows there's nothing he can do to change it. And so it's in this distraught emotional state that he lays down and he goes to sleep. And I wonder if his last thought wasn't something like this. My life is a nightmare. I mean, it's become a complete nightmare. Here I am running for my brother. Have you ever had that time when you lay down to go to sleep? And it's that, you know, right between being awake and asleep, you know, that very last moment when you're about to drift off, hopefully it doesn't happen in church, and you're, you're about to drift off and, 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 and you start to have a dream and you're not really sure if it's like a real dream or if it's your own processing of thought. Uh, one time, it was shortly after we were married, um, my wife and I were laying down to go to sleep and she had already drifted off and I was just at that spot, you know, that, that right to go to the land of Nod spot, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and all of a sudden... I thought I heard what sounded like this fluttering sound. And then like something swooped over my bed. You know, and I opened my eyes and, um, I, you know, I kind of looked around and, and I think I sat up in bed. And when I sat up, you know, and I kind of took a, a, a gasp, my wife says to me, Joe, what is it? She woke up. I said, you know, I don't know. I, I thought I heard a fluttering sound and like something swooped over our bed. She says to me, Are you saying something swooped over our bed? I said, no, I think I thought that something swooped over our bed. And she says what you would probably say, well, get up and find out if something swooped over our bed. And I say to her, do you think there's any chance I could talk you into getting up and seeing if anything swooped over our bed? No, she says, you get up and find out. And, and so I get up and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm traipsing around the, the, the upstairs of our house. I'm, I'm looking around the corners and, and I don't see anything. And, It all seemed nice and quiet, so I started heading back to the bed. And just as I'm walking back and I kind of move the door a little bit, I see this bat hanging on the top of our door. Yeah, right? I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but 
Just let me tell you this. Don't listen to what she says, okay? It's not true. Uh, Well, it probably is. But it's that moment just when you're about to go to sleep and something happens and you're not sure if it's real or fake. And I think that's what happened to Jacob. He's about to go to sleep and behold. that's, That's the Bible's way of saying whoosh, swoop. Something swooped over his bed. What was it? Behold! He took one of those stones and placed it under his head and lying down to sleep and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder. And behold, a second one, another swoop. There were angels descending and ascending up this ladder. A dream that seemed so real. I'm sure Jacob couldn't shake the thought that he wasn't sure if he was asleep or awake. And all of a sudden, maybe he got a little glimpse of something. You know, God is at work in the world. You don't always see it, don't always know it, but these angels going up and down this ladder, it's not about them. Don't, don't imagine angels going up and down the, la- the, the staircase like they're on an escalator at the mall. They're not on their way from Dillard's to Penny's or whatever. No, they are doing the work of God in the world. And Jacob maybe. Mr. Manipulator, conniver, swindler, trying to make things work his way, maybe he all of a sudden understands for just a moment that it's not just about what he's doing. Maybe God is doing something, and in fact, another swoop happens. You saw it. There's another behold in here. Whoosh! The Lord Himself is standing at the top of the staircase. A little Bible help here, a little clue. Wherever you see the word LORD in the Bible in all caps in the Old Testament, this is a a, a clue that the translator is telling you, this is the personal name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the one who revealed himself to Moses and to David and to Solomon, the personal presence of God. And he says to Jacob, Jacob, you conniving, cheating, swindler. No, he doesn't actually say that. I'm going to do for you what I did for your father Isaac and what I did for your father Abraham. You are the one. I'm going to give you land, descendants, and through you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And all Jacob can think about is how are you going to do this, Lord? Don't you know my brother wants to kill me? You know, I don't know what this passage says to you, but I think it says at least this to me. That God doesn't always call saints. In fact, God never calls saints. Because we're not born that way. God calls the willing. He calls the ones who are willing to trust in the Lord. He calls the ones who are open to that sort of thing. And He often does it in the midst of a crisis. Jacob is running for his life. He's a long way from the faith of Abraham. He's a long way from the faith of his father Isaac. But he finds this, that God has a plan and it includes him. Hey, this guy is a conniving, cheating swindler. And in a couple pages you'll find that he's not much different. He's still a conniving, cheating swindler. And yet the Lord still comes to him and calls him to follow him. Jacob gets up in the morning, takes his pillow, sits it up and says, You know what? Here's where I met the Lord. And this is where we started walking together. And he probably needed that. You know, on on the fourth day of April in 1989, um, I woke up from this terrible fit of anxiety. I don't know what it was. But just out of a dead sleep, I woke up and I had this, this terrible, terrible fear in my heart that something was really wrong in my life. 
And I did the thing that seemed natural at the time, and I don't know why. I called the pastor of the church where, where Abby and I were going to for premarital counseling. We were about to be married in a few weeks, and, and I was going. And, and, and so I called him, and I said, would you meet with me? And he said, yes, come on in. I don't know. I had probably been to church, you know, um, a dozen times, and, and, and every single one of those was, was Christmas or Easter. <laughs> okay? This was not, uh, this wasn't something that I ever would do. And yet, you know, something inside of me thought this was the right thing to do. And I called him and I, I said, you know, could I meet with you? And he says, Joe, maybe this is the fact that you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Have you ever done that? And I said to him, you know, I don't even know what you mean. You know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher talking to me. Wah, 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 you know that? I don't even understand what you're saying. And he talked to me a little bit and he asked me if I would like to and, and, and I did. And maybe some of you think that, you know, um, priests, we come born from the womb wearing our shirts backwards, you know, and, and quoting the Bible. I assure you we do not. Let me tell you, if you were to go around my high school, and when I was in high school, and, and you were to ask, let me have a list of the most likely candidates for the priesthood, and can I have another list of the most unlikely candidates for the priesthood? Let me tell you which list I would be on, okay? And not only that, I would have been at the top of the least likely list. Some of my friends uh, from high school are now my friends on Facebook I haven't seen for 20 years. You should see the first thing they say to me. <gasps> you know, oh my goodness, what's with that shirt on backwards? The only thing that gives me comfort is I feel like I'm in good company with people like Jacob, who was a swindler, cheat, opportunist, self-centered, looking out for himself. Or people like St. Peter, who three times denied that he even knew Jesus. Or people like St. Paul, who stood and ordered the murder of innocent Christians because he thought that they were, they were heretics and deserved to die. You see, here's the thing. God doesn't call saints. He makes them. And the journey to sainthood begins, even if it's a thousand miles, even if it's a hundred thousand miles, it begins with a single step. Today, Lord, I've decided to follow you. Amen.